This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Well, it's December. Things are starting to feel like Christmas. Decorations are up. It's surprising how, how big of a difference those, those small things make in the, in the course of our holiday season of celebrating the, the birth of Jesus together. There's so many traditions that we, we carry into this time of year, things that just make Christmas feel right. Maybe you are already beginning those traditions. Maybe you're preparing for those traditions. We have one at our house. is a little red candy dish that comes out only at Christmas time. And it's one of my favorite things that we do because I walk by the counter and there's candy in a dish. And I just can't help myself. It's peanut M&Ms almost always. It's peanut M&Ms. So every time I go by, I just get a little handful, and I go back and get another handful. I have to be careful. So I can really go through the M&Ms pretty quick. I need to change to candy that I don't like is what we decided. I mean, put some, put some, uh, is there candy I don't like? <laughs> black jelly, we'll put some black jelly beans in there. Yeah, the licorice ones, yuck. Fill that up with, with stuff that I won't eat. Um, I, as we came together, my wife and I, and we got married, we each had these traditions from our, our, our childhood that, that were a meaningful part of our Christmas celebration. When we visit her family, we experience the, the celebration of, of Christmas in that way. When we visit my family, we get some of that as well. But when we, when we got married, we started talking about what we wanted our Christmas to, to be, what we wanted it to look like, what we wanted it to feel like. And, and we sifted through all those traditions from her family and from my family, and we weeded out some things that we didn't want to be a part of our celebration. And we, we brought forward those things that were really meaningful to us. And we added some things that we talked about that we wanted to do. And as we uh, had kids, we, we talked very specifically about how we wanted them to celebrate Christmas, about how we wanted to have them remember their childhood with, with fond memories and, and provide things for them that would point them to the Lord. And so we were very specific about the way we did some things for their Christmas celebrations. One of the unique things that we do as a family, one of our traditions, is the way that we celebrate our Christmas dinner together. Now, most people have the same kind of food for Christmas. I don't know, for your family, uh, maybe you do Christmas ham. I know Thanksgiving, everybody eats the same kind of thing all everywhere. Everybody's eating turkey and stuffing and potatoes, and sweet potatoes, the whole deal. Um, but Christmas it is a different kind of meal. My grandparents would always have ham for, for Christmas time. And one of the joys of being there as a kid was my grandpa would always uh, carve the ham after it had been in the oven. And he would spend time slicing, getting everything ready for food and sandwiches. And as w the kids would come through the kitchen, he would set some little pieces of meat aside that were, you know, the odds and ends, the things that didn't quite fit with the nice clean cut pieces of meat. And if we came through at the right time, he would hand us samples of meat as we went by. And we got a little taste of, of what was cooking. It was one of the great things about Papa. And that's one of the one thing I've started picking up as I'm cutting up meat, getting ready. I was like, I'll leave a little bit aside for anybody that comes by and wants to taste a little bit. It's just a fun part of, of getting things ready for a meal. But the the way that we do our Christmas, we don't have a, a ham for everybody. We don't do a Christmas goose. I know that's kind of like the, the, the holiday story from olden times. They had Christmas goose. I've never had goose before. I don't know that I really want to, but you know, that's part of the, part of the thing they did. 
what we do for our Christmas dinner, we have, we have favorites. That's what we call Christmas dinner. We, we agree on a side dish, and then everybody chooses their entree. You get whatever you want. My wife and I both like steak. We split a steak. My son likes chicken wings. We make chicken wings. My uh, younger son, Corbin, he said, this year, my favorite's mac and cheese. I want to eat mac and cheese for my entree. Okay. Nice and easy. That's, a, that's a nice and easy. But, but what I've noticed is it doesn't cost any more to buy one of this and one of that instead of four of the same thing. Actually, it can be a little bit cheaper. I don't have to buy four steaks. I can just buy one steak. <laughs> but they all go on the grill. They all cook in the same space. We just put the chicken wings on for about an hour. When it's time to put the steak on, we put it next to the chicken wings. It's all ready about the same time. It's easy. It's great. The complication we've found is when we have guests over for Christmas, when, when um, the Marlowe's come, Becca's family, when they're in for Christmas. And we, you know, we're getting everything ready. We're wrapping gifts. We're getting, getting more toward Christmas Day. And they'll say, well, what are we doing for Christmas dinner? So what do you want? And uh, Becca's mom will say, well, I want, I want pork chops. Okay, pork chops it is. She said, well, no, no, not everybody doesn't have to eat pork chops just because I want pork chops. I said, you're right. It's favorites. I'm having steak. You have pork chops. It's fine. Oh, okay. It's, it's really fun. It's exciting. And, and the thing about this tradition is it doesn't get old. It doesn't get stale because my favorite this year might be different than my favorite last year. But it's still my favorite, and we still have this tradition. I can, I can have an entree that I want. It's a, it's a really interesting way for us to just enjoy a meal together and we all get a little taste and sometimes I'll, you know we'll make a little extra and everybody gets to taste the favorites of of other people when Corbin was little he had this this uh this love for for crab legs as a, as, a, as a little kid we went we took him to Red Lobster one year and on the kids menu at Red Lobster they had crab legs for kids I was like what what kid would order crab legs sure enough my son was like I want the crab legs he loved them and then you know for for Christmas favorites he's like I want crab legs you know Meyer you can just say I want you know, just three crab legs. You could just pay for whatever, like a quarter of a pound of crab legs, and you just steam them, and they're ready to go. It was so easy. I'd never made crab legs. I don't eat stuff like that, so I was surprised at how easy it was to make. Anyway, traditions are fun. <laughs> they're, they're, they're enjoyable for us, and they, they help us just feel like it, it's time for, for Christmas. Now, sometimes those, those traditions, they don't meet the expectations of people. Like when my in-laws come over, and they're like, this is different than, than anything that, that they do. And yet it's still something that, that points us to the Lord. It's still something that is a meaningful part of our celebration. That's, that's what we're talking about through this, this series that we begin today called Simply Christmas, of returning to this space uh, in, the, in the story of the birth of Jesus that, that calls our, our hearts and our minds back to the simplicity of the story in the midst of the, the chaos and the complications of holiday, in the midst of all of the, the, the decorations and the gifts and the, the, the parties and the, the busyness that comes, what we need to remember is Jesus, the birth of our Savior. And so that's, that's how we're going to, to move through the next, the next few weeks as we talk about uh, Christmas together. Today we're going to start with the, the story of the birth of Jesus, the nativity story from Luke chapter 2. This is a, another part of our, our tradition as a family. This is something Becca's family has done for, for her entire childhood, something I learned from them. But on Christmas morning, we get things ready. And before we do anything else, we sit down and read through this passage from Luke 2 about the birth of Jesus so that we don't get lost in the, you know, the fun breakfast and opening gifts and you know, favorite dinner and all those things. Before any of that comes, the very first thing we do is we remember Jesus. 
and we set our, the tone for our entire day with, with this story. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you want to use the version app, you can use a phone or tablet, open up the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find a scripture and sermon notes in the version app for today's message. Let's begin reading the story together. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they were told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the story of the birth of Jesus. God in the flesh, who made his dwelling among us, who chose to enter into creation on our behalf, who was sent here because God loved us so much that he was willing to, to send his son to live amongst us, to live a perfect life and lay that life down on the cross so that he could redeem us from our lives of sin, so that he could bring us back into relationship with him. All of this is according to the plan of God. And all of it is boiled down to this simple story. The story of the birth of Jesus is surprisingly simple. You and I know the story. We're not surprised by it. But consider it. If you had never heard the story of the birth of Jesus before, how surprisingly simple the details of the story would be to you. God entering into creation. You would expect this this immense event, the spectacular, awe-inspiring moment when every eye would turn to the Messiah among us, and yet Jesus came in in such a, a... a humble way, born to a young couple 
in a rustic environment as they traveled from Galilee to Bethlehem, called back to Joseph's hometown because of a census that was being taken, called back to the place where he was born, traveling many miles slowly because Mary was so very pregnant, both of them going back because they were betrothed, and that engagement at that time would have been a significant commitment. They were going together to be counted among the people of Israel. And because of the way that they were traveling, they arrived back in Bethlehem with all the others who had been born there and moved away from, for a variety of reasons. And when they got there, all of the rooms that would have been for rent, all of the, the, the spare rooms and homes that people might have let a traveler stay, they were all occupied. There was no space for them to stay. They made arrangements to stay in a stable. Among the livestock and the smell that goes with all those animals, they made a comfortable place for the night. And when it was time for the baby to be born, there, there he came, in and amongst this, this rustic environment, in a small town outside of Jerusalem, not even 10 miles away from this bustling city in a, in a stable. They had shelter, they were warm, they were dry, but there were no comforts, no amenities. And as Jesus was born, they wrapped him up in some cloths and laid him in a manger. A very, very fancy way of saying. They put him in the trough where the animals eat. <laughs> because it was a nice place where he wouldn't roll and, and be harmed. It was a nice place to know that he would stay. And there in that, in that simple stable, Jesus was born. And God made his dwelling among us. He was born to humble parents, unassuming people. We read in the pages of Scripture about this young couple betrothed, and we don't find out much about them until the story takes place. They both, Mary and Joseph, can trace their lineage to the house and line of David. They're distant, uh, a part of the same tribe of the people of Israel. And the, the little we know about them is this, they're faithful people. They're faithful to the Lord. We have an account of each of them hearing from the angel about the role they're going to play in the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And each one of them responds in their own way. Mary, we find her account, the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 26 is the beginning of her story. In the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Can you imagine a, a greeting from an angel telling you that God favors you, what that must have felt like for Mary? What, what part of her life was it that God looked at and, and favored? What, what was it that she had done that had, had called the attention of the Lord for this selection? Certainly her willingness to obey where the Lord was calling her. She asked the angel how her role in this event was going to play out. She understood from the angel, the Holy Spirit, the birth of Jesus would be miraculous. And her response was of faithful obedience to serve the Lord in whatever way he wanted her to. I'm your servant. Joseph was given instructions by an angel in a similar way. His story is in Matthew chapter 1. Here's what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now here's Joseph, a young man who is noted in Scripture for his faithful obedience. He is faithful to the law. Now, usually when we find someone who's, who's faithful to the law, who's dedicated to the letter of law, there's a legalism that goes with that, a, a, a harshness, a, a critical nature that we find in other characters in the Bible, other people who are, who are pointed in that direction. Joseph, on the other hand, while he's dedicated to, to the law, also is compassionate toward Mary. He doesn't want to see her disgrace. He doesn't want to see her experience any public shame. And so his plan is to divorce her quietly so that she can maintain her reputation, so that she won't become uh, the, the object of, of public scrutiny, so that he can remain faithful to the law and still not tear her down. And the angel intervened and, and clued Joseph in to what God was doing in their lives, of how they were chosen to raise Jesus in their house, how the Son of God would grow and they would be his earthly parents. This is the simple story of the birth of Jesus. From the stable, we go immediately out to the fields to another group of ordinary men who are going about just another night watching over their flocks when an angel appeared before them, the glory of the Lord shining around them, and they heard from this angel a divine message. These simple men, these regular guys who were out in the field, not expecting any kind of turn of events, and the darkness of night is interrupted by the light of heaven. And these men who were tending their sheep were the first to hear about Jesus the Messiah, the first ones to go and see the baby boy who was born. The angel told them exactly where to go. The, the angel told them where to find him. And after hearing this chorus of angels praising the Lord, they decided amongst themselves to go and see what the angel had told them about, to go and see for themselves this incredible moment, God, who made his dwelling among us. They were so moved by the presence of Jesus, they went away from there telling everyone they encountered what they had seen and heard, telling them about the angels, telling them about this baby boy, telling them about God who had come to live among us. And everyone who heard what the shepherds said were amazed at what they had experienced that night. And the shepherds were left with no other response but to praise God as they went back to the fields. They worshiped the Lord. That is how the presence of Jesus affected these ordinary men. And that's how the presence of Jesus should impact our lives. Which with each and every encounter we have in the presence of Jesus, we should walk away motivated to tell every person we meet about his love and his grace. We should walk away with such joy and hope and peace in our hearts that we have no other response but to praise God and make an impact in the lives of the people we meet. The birth of Jesus is part of a simple story, but that simple story was not what people were expecting. People of Israel had been waiting the Messiah to come among them. They had been, from early childhood, well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies that had been proclaimed about the Messiah who would come. 
And they were expecting this grand and glorious entrance of God's Messiah. The birth of Jesus certainly didn't meet their expectations. They would have expected God's Messiah to have been present among political leaders, the powerful, those with authority. They would have expected God's Messiah to to be introduced to the religious leaders at the time. And in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin was present. The chief priest was there. And yet, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, outside of the city, in such humble means that very few people even heard about his birth. It was the shepherds from the fields who were the first to meet him. Not people of renown, not people with authority or respect. Regular men from the field. And a baby boy in a manger is certainly not what the people of Israel expected. They were awaiting the coming Savior. They were awaiting this, this appearing of God among them. And they were confused by the anonymity of the Messiah. They were confused by the, the humble circumstances. And even as Jesus grew and began his ministry, there were many people who, who didn't know that he was the Messiah, who were unaware. And when John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, there were a great deal of people who thought John might be the Messiah. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, we hear about the confusion that took place. People were waiting expectantly, all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. Straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. With many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now here's John, a, a dynamic person, coming out of the wilderness, dressed in camel skin, with wild hair, eating locusts and honey. And he was this striking figure, and people looked at him, and they heard him, and they were amazed at what they saw. This is the kind of image they expected of God's Messiah, this personality that would draw attention to himself. The birth of Jesus was anything but that. Quiet and humble. God's presence among us. There were other people among the, among the Israelites who were waiting for a conquering king to come as the Messiah. They were thinking back to the, the Psalms of David and the, the powerful words that David wrote about the Lord. Psalm 110 verse 1, here's what David wrote. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And based off of, of passages like these, the people of Israel were waiting for a powerful figure to come and deliver them from the hands of the Romans to, to elevate them in, in, in the world around them to their rightful place. They were focused on this king who would reign forever on the throne of David, looking for a, a physical victory. When Jesus came to accomplish a spiritual victory, to lay down his life so that he could take it up again, to sacrifice himself, to pay for the sin of the world and redeem us, bring us back to him. Certainly not the route they expected the Messiah to take, but the route that God planned, full of his purpose, for your sake and for mine. And the celebration that we have at Christmas isn't about our expectations of what Jesus should be. It's about the reality of who Jesus is our Savior, Messiah, and Lord, who entered into creation with one purpose in mind, to save us from our sin, to bring us into relationship with the Lord by laying down his life, 
That's what Jesus accomplished. And that, the purpose of our celebration, to focus our hearts and our minds on him. And every year we come to Christmas time with this feeling of anticipation, with the great expectations of tradition and decorations and lights and gifts. And it's difficult for us to focus on Jesus because of the extravagance of our celebration. But this year I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to make Jesus the focus of your celebration, to choose to move past all of the complications of Christmas time. And remember the reason that we celebrate. To move past all of the, the extravagance, to move past all of the, the hustle and the bustle and the, the, the crowds and the, the, the buying and the keeping up and, and to come back to this simple story of the birth of Jesus. To what's special and meaningful. To remember what it is that Jesus has done for us. You see, there's so many ways we get distracted from Jesus at Christmas time. We get distracted with, with the, the need to buy the perfect gift. We get distracted with, with the, the anticipation of, of the look on people's faces when we, when we hand them this thing that we think is going to fit just right. We, we, we are full of expectation and anticipation about what we're going to receive for Christmas. Even as adults, we still get a little bit excited about getting a gift from someone else. And there's this Fear of disappointment. We don't want to, to hand someone a gift that they're not going to like. We don't want to open up something and realize uh, it's not what I was expecting. And even though we know Christmas is about Jesus, there's still something about the giving of gifts that drives us through this season, that drives us to shop and spend more money than we should, that drives us to, to become a part of a, of a crowd that's frustrated and rude, moving through parking lots and moving through stores and nudging people out of the way. It's, 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 such, it's such a difficult time for us to celebrate Christmas in the midst of the chaos and the rudeness. Think about the opportunity that you and I have to share the love and grace of Jesus in a world that is desperately trying to get everything ready for Christmas. As we move through parking lots and go into stores, as we encounter crowds of people with frowns on their faces who are hurrying and rushing and trying to accomplish everything that they have to accomplish, how great of an impact could we make in the lives of people if we were willing to smile at the people we encounter in the store instead of pushing past them to get what we want? How big of an impact would we make on people if, if we were willing to just let them go first? To be courteous, to be gracious, to be kind in a world that's looking out for their needs. If we would shine the light of Jesus everywhere that we go, how we could be examples of his love and grace in such small, simple ways that we would move past the complication of the holidays, the complication of keeping up with our neighbors who are decorating and putting lights all over their houses. And we feel that temptation to one-up them, to, to, to win at, at decorating. We hear about the gifts that other people are receiving. We think, well, I've got to get something better than that for my spouse. What if she hears about this? We, we have this, this desire to be the best at Christmas. We have this, this difficulty with escalation. Have you, have, you, have you felt the urgency to do more than you did last year? To have a better celebration? To give a better gift than you did? There's this temptation that we face each and every year to go beyond what we've done before. What I've found is after five or six or seven or ten years, you run out of room to keep going up. 
You run out of funds to keep buying nicer gifts. At some point, you have to face the disappointment that this celebration isn't going to be any greater or more extravagant than it was last year, but it's still meaningful and special if the object of our celebration is right. If we remember the birth of Jesus, instead of all the things that go with it, our celebrations will be so much more meaningful as we gather together. But we have to remember him in the midst of all that chaos. We have to remember him in the midst of all the characters there are at Christmas time. You've realized how confusing it is to be a child in the world today and celebrate Christmas with Frosty and Santa Claus and Rudolph and Buddy the Elf. You think about all the, 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 the things that we point our kids to at Christmas time. Have you, ever, have you sat down to watch any Christmas specials? We, we sat down to watch a, a Christmas movie the other day. Let's just find something. We turned on Netflix. You know, there's this little preview that plays whenever you hover over something. And this Christmas special came on, and the character said, well, you know, family is the most important thing. Caring about each other and being together as a family, that's what Christmas is all about. And I heard from the other room, so I went, nope. <laughs> no, it's not. Like, it's not. Yes, it's wonderful to be together with family, but that's not the reason we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate his birth. We celebrate the redemption we find in him from our sins. Salvation because he was willing to enter into creation and lay his life down for us. That's what Christmas is about. And we need to remember him. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of all of the things that we have at Christmas time, to, to, to step back into the simplicity of the story of the birth of Jesus and be reminded that he is what we're celebrating. Now, Christmas is a special time in the world we live in because people in the month of December are more willing to talk about Jesus than at any other time of the year. People are more willing to listen to you talk about Jesus than they ever will be at any other time of the year. And for us, Christmas time creates an incredible opportunity to share our faith in Jesus Christ with the world around us. Because everyone is pointed to Christmas. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, they are buying, they are celebrating, they are decorating, they are preparing for Christmas. And we have an opportunity in the midst of all of that celebration to talk about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in a meaningful way that will point people to him. And we have the opportunity to do so at a time when their hearts are most likely to be open to that message and where they may be more willing to actually turn to him and find hope in him for eternity. Now, that's a rare opportunity that I don't want to pass up, and I want to challenge you to recognize it when it comes, that you wouldn't step past one of those important conversations that comes up at your workplace as you're celebrating Christmas, among your family as you're gathered around a table eating together, that you would be the love of Jesus in the lives of those people, that you would be willing to step forward in that conversation and talk about your faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that this might be the perfect opportunity to do so. I also want to, to warn you, challenge you to to care for people as you do this. Like Joseph, who was faithful and obedient, but also compassionate, know that at Christmas time, people hurt more than they do at other times. As we get closer to the holiday, sometimes those celebrations are a, a clear reminder of, of those memories of pain in the past, of, of loved ones who should be with us, but they aren't. And sometimes we encounter people who are really hurting at Christmas time. And we have an opportunity to care for them in a way that reminds them of the hope they have 
in Jesus, their Lord and Savior, that, that reminds them that even in the midst of their pain, they can find peace and joy in him. And we have an opportunity to care for them also at this time of year, to remind them of the hope for eternity they find in Jesus Christ. Would you take that opportunity this year? Would you step forward into those moments and point people to the Lord? Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for the way that you lead us back to Jesus through the story we find in your word. Thank you for reminding us that in the midst of the chaos of the holiday season, that what it is we're celebrating is the incredible work that you have done on our behalf by sending Jesus to redeem us from our sin. God, help us to remember him. Help us to focus our celebration on him. Help us to point people to him. Lord, I pray that you would help us overcome the temptation to complicate Christmas and remind us of, of how important it is to set our hearts on Jesus. We thank you. In his name we pray. Amen.